if you are joining us for the first time, and I'll do what Wes did, don't start my time here. If you're, joining, <laughs> if you're joining us for the first time, about two or three minutes from now, you might have thought I've lost my mind. But uh, nonetheless, uh, we are, seriously speaking, we are debating various subjects, and I am going tonight to be talking about the subject of instrumental music, we both are, and my proposition tonight is Christians have New Testament authority to use instruments in their praise and worship of God. Bear with us, and uh, kind of take your Bibles out, follow along, and I hope you find this uh, you know, as, as rewarding and interesting as I think a whole lot of people did last week. Okay, let's properly get into it. Christians have New Testament authority to use instruments in their praise and worship to God. Last week... Wes argued that what gives us authority in the New Testament is the word psalms. And he went to passages like Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, Colossians 3, 16, and, and so forth. And he said because it had the word psalms, that authorizes instrumental music in the New Testament. Now, Wes is not going to take that position tonight, but I want to veer away from that a little bit, and I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. The thrust of my argument tonight is going to be that what gives us authority in the New Testament for instruments of music is, in fact, the Old Testament. Now, you heard that correctly. What gives us authority in the New Testament is the Old Testament, and let me explain. The New Testament authorizes the proper uses and inclusion of the Old Testament. I want to begin with a statement Jesus made in Matthew chapter 5. If you're looking at that passage with me, you may remember that Jesus said very clearly on the Sermon on the Mount, Think not that I am come to destroy the law. The law has not been destroyed. He speaks of the law of Moses or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but I want you to notice the phrase, but to fulfill. That is to complete it, to fill it up. Till I, I, I truly say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot, which would be the smallest letter in the alphabet, or one tittle, the smallest mark, will pass away till all has been fulfilled. So let's talk about the proper uses and inclusion of the Old Testament in the New Testament. Romans 15 and verse 4 says, The Old Testament scriptures were written for our learning, or some of your translations say our teaching, our doctrine. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6, it clearly tells us that these things in the Old Testament were our examples and our admonition. In Galatians 3, it tells us that the Old Testament was to bring us to Christ. Not separate and apart from Christ, but to bring us to Christ. And finally, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17, it tells us that all Scripture, every writing, that is all 66 books of the Bible are inspired by God, and they are profitable for doctrine. Notice that. Or the same word in Romans 15, the learning, the teaching. Profitable for instruction in righteousness, to tell us what is right. Now notice that. All Scripture, not just the New Testament, but Old and New Testament, teaches us what is right to equip us to every good work. It is not just that the New Testament equips us or gives us what we need for all good works, but it is rather all 66 books of the Bible. Let me go further with this. Since we believe in all the scriptures, and I'm sure everyone gathered here does, I'm sure we all believe in all the scriptures, all 66 books, and including those 
scriptures that command instruments of music. And since then, the New Testament explicitly tells us to appeal to the Old Testament. It's showing us in all those verses we just put up to appeal to the Old Testament for our learning, for our example, for our doctrine or teaching, for our instruction, etc., we have to conclude the Lord wants instrumental music because they're in Scripture. They're in inspired Scripture that is profitable for instruction, learning, teaching, etc. Who among us sitting here tonight would say we don't believe in the Old Testament? Now, I've known people who say that. I don't believe in the Old Testament. I only believe in the New. But I don't think any of us would say that. I certainly would not. Who among us would say, given what 2 Timothy 3 says, that the Old Testament and its instructions and directives are without profit when Paul said through Timothy there that it's profitable for doctrine, etc. Our authority for instrumental music then is in Scripture. We have direct commands in a lot of Scriptures, such as 2 Chronicles 29 or Psalm 150. We read that. And I'm sure you know what that says, to praise God. And it repeats that phrase. Praise Him on the temporal. Praise Him on the heart. Praise Him, at, you know, etc., etc. To praise God with instruments. We have examples throughout the Bible in worship to God. We have Moses. We have David. We have saints in the New Testament worshiping God with instruments. We have the inference. We have to draw the conclusion that since all Scripture is profitable for doctrine... And since we have Scripture telling us to praise God with the instruments, we have to draw the conclusion that there's not been an explicit change in Scripture, and their use is not contradictive to authority that's exclusive to the New Testament. Now, let me explain that. How much time do I have, James? All right. I've got plenty of time to explain this, so let me do it. If you're in Matthew 5, let's note a difference. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, quoted some things from the Old Testament. For example, look down at verse 33 and 34. You've heard it has been said, verse 33. uh, Thou shalt not forswear thyself. Thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oath. If we went back to the Old Testament, we could find that. Leviticus 19 and verse 12, don't swear falsely. Again, in Numbers 30 and verse 2, if you do swear, in other words, it's fine to swear, but if you do, don't break your word. And yet Jesus, in verse 34, explicitly changes that. But, I say, verse 34, swear not at all. The laws clearly change regarding swearing. Not regarding everything, but regarding swearing, and swearing would violate Jesus' new command. Notice the point. Exclusive to the New Testament is don't swear at all. But you don't have something like that in the Sermon on the Mount about instrumental music or anywhere else. You do have it about things like swearing or animal sacrifices, or a number of things like that. So since there's nothing like this in the New Testament regarding instrumental music, one may still sing, Ephesians 5, verse 19, and even make melody in their heart, Ephesians 5, 19, while instruments are being played. I dare say anybody that's ever been in a sing-along or anything else, somebody was strumming on a guitar and you were singing along, you were both singing and making the melody in your mind as you sang and as someone else played. That's not a violation of Ephesians 5. So even while instruments are being played, the one does not exclude the other. So we might ask the question, has the law of God changed? A lot of times when when arguments are being made, debates are, are conducted about something like instrumental music, someone will say, the law has changed. And so we ask the question, has the law changed? I would say this. No, 
It has not changed. Only laws have changed. In other words, if we were to go look through the book of Proverbs, we studied that at Wendy's. West was a teacher, did a great job on it. And there were numerous laws and principles and instructions, admonitions, etc. in Proverbs. Nothing's changed about that. It's timeless. It was for then, it is for now. Instrumental music is timeless. It was for then, it is for now. Some things have changed. Don't swear now. You've heard, give a bill of divorcement if you're going to divorce your wife a couple of verses earlier. But I say unto you, it's changed. You've heard, love your your, uh, neighbor and hate your enemies. That's changed. I say, love your enemies. But we don't see anything like that in the New Testament about instrumental music. So certain specifics have changed. The, The priesthood has changed. Hebrews 7 and verse 11. And so in verse 12, there is made of necessity a change of the law. Not the whole law. Not stripping everything out of the Old Testament. Else those verses I first put up would be rendered senseless. But laws have changed. Certain specifics have changed. And since those specifics have changed, where they have, it must be specifically stated that it has. In other words, you've got to have something where it says... You know, it was once said this, but I'm changing that. That part of it, I'm changing. The rest of it is for your instruction. It's for your admonition. It's for your teaching, etc. Final point. It's not that God now prohibits the use of mechanical instruments or now says, sing and do not play. It is rather that the Bible authorized their use, 2 Timothy 3, etc. And that authorization is never removed. Thank you. Wes. And do you want me to put this on black screen or do both? It doesn't matter. I've got the control right here, so it doesn't matter. Okay. Remember I said last week uh, I thought my job was hard? This week is much more difficult. The truth is, Michael's laid out some very good points about how Jesus does say there in Matthew 5, You've heard that it was said, but I say to you. I want to draw your attention back to one of those things that was said in back in Matthew chapter 5. Open back up there in Matthew 5. And I want you to notice down in verse 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your enemy, or you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Nowhere will you find in the Old Testament to hate your enemy and love your neighbor. What is being dealt with here are some teachings from the old law of how people were teaching them. You've heard that it was said, do not murder. But you can be angry all that you want. Jesus says, no, no, no. You can't even hate your brother. And so what he's dealing with in Matthew 5 are not all quotations directly from the law, but they are things that had been taught by their teachers. And so you get to the end, and you see a lot of different things about that, so you can get to the end of chapter 7, and you can understand that when Jesus finishes teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, that all of the people in verse 28, they were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. You see, it was their scribes that were the ones saying you shouldn't hate or you shouldn't murder, you shouldn't do all this. It wasn't the law saying that only, because you would never find anywhere in the law that it's okay to hate your enemy. But rather you would find love your neighbor as yourself. So that is one thing. The other part I want to say about all of that is 
He says, yes, some laws have changed. And he pointed out some laws that have changed. Yes, laws have changed, but the entirety of the law has changed. Open up to Hebrews chapter 7 to begin with. Hebrews chapter 7, we looked at this a little bit last week. But he uses a command, and Michael even referenced this last week, about we are all priests and Jesus is high priest after the order of Melchizedek, right? We know that the old law said that the priest came from the tribe of Judah. Okay, where in the New Testament does it say that does not come from the tribe of Judah? It does not. It says that verse 17, it was witness of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And so he makes this point there that there was a command in that old law about the priest, but that has changed. But then notice what he says about the entire law in verse 19. The law made nothing perfect or nothing complete. That old law as a whole could not bring people to completion. So you would notice then, as he goes on to say in chapters 8 and 9, that there now is a law that can. And I want you to go to chapter 8 and verse 13. After he quotes from Jeremiah, the 31st chapter, where he quotes there, and you can even begin, and we know this probably pretty well, for verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, each of them from the greatest. Now verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, a new arrangement, okay, He makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. You see, what the Hebrew writer is making the argument of is not that some of the Old Testament, some of the Old Covenant was being changed, but that the whole thing was being changed. And so we have... No animal sacrifices. We have the perfect sacrifice of Jesus by which cleanses us, which is able to take away our sins. Because we know from chapter 9 and verse 23, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. But that the blood of bulls and goats cannot. So the law said, hey, this is what you need to do. But it couldn't do it. And so what he's saying is this new law has all of that. So you say, okay, well, do you scrap everything in the old law? Well, of course not, because God is God. But what you do is you say, okay, what is brought over from that? And instruments are not brought over. Animal sacrifices are not brought over. Sabbath worship is not brought over. And you say, so where's the change for that? Well, here's the change. I want you to go to Matthew, not Matthew, why don't you go to James, the fifth chapter. This is for the individual. Individual in verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Or let him, as the King James says, sing psalms. 
What we are specifically told to do in the New Testament, as we saw last week in Ephesians 5, sing and make melody in your hearts to the Lord. See, we now have a specific command that we are to sing. You have in 5.13, if anyone, and that is a singular term, if an individual is joyful or cheerful, he is to sing. You understand, therefore a change has been made that, yeah, the psalms are included in all of that, but we don't include the psalms with the animal sacrifices. Why? Because we're told they don't do us any good. And we don't sing that because now we're told what he wants in the entirety of the new law, that there has been a change, that the old has been done away, and in that you have let him sing praises. How much time do I have? i got three minutes. So... You think about that for just one second. You think about other things that we don't bring over. As we talked about, you don't bring the Sabbath. And can you find verses in the New Testament that say, don't bring the Sabbath over? You can. Look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. Let no man judge you on holy days or new moons or Sabbaths. Like That's not what it is to be. In Acts 15, when they are writing to the, the Gentiles that have been converted to Christ, they're not told to keep the Sabbath. They're told to abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood and things strangled. That's the kind of stuff they were to keep away from. And he wasn't saying, hey, keep the entirety of the old law. Don't keep those other feasts. There's a difference. The entirety of the law has changed. And if we understand the book of Hebrews correctly, we understand that it all has to go. But yet some parts have been included in and the instruments have not Because we've not been told to sing and make praise with the trumpet as Psalm 150 did. But we would go back and we would see in Ephesians 5 that we would sing in verse 19, sing and make melody in our heart. I got one minute, two minutes. Now here's where I'm going to throw Michael what I think he wants to talk about. This whole make melody in your heart. That is from this word here that is often used, this word solo. And I don't know how to pronounce it. Michael can correct me. He is the Greek scholar, not me. But you'll notice that this word solo is a word that means to pluck, to cause to vibrate, to touch, to twang. And I got no picture because I didn't put it up there. Uh, And so it will get there in just a second. Or it won't. Anyway, that word make melody is literally to pluck a string. And oftentimes a harp string or a guitar string. And so people want to say that this word solo is the idea of now you play an instrument. There is your authorization for it. But notice the instrument in Ephesians 5.19. Sing, and I'm going to use the phrase, pluck in your heart to the Lord. That's what the command is, is you pluck in your heart. And we use a very common phrase, a tug on my heartstrings. Like we get the understanding of an emotion being attached with that. And what God is telling us as Christians is that we are to sing and pluck our heart heart to the Lord, not sing and pluck 
a harp or a trumpet or a guitar or a pipe, but our heart to the Lord. So even if, quote, the whole law hasn't changed, there we have a change in the command of instead of seeing tambourine dance, it's sing and make melody pluck in your heart. appreciate Wes arguing my point for me. Uh, and, and let me tell you why. So let's go back there. I want to just start with where I left off a moment ago. And I want to stress that only laws within the law have changed. The whole law has not changed. Um, there were several things Wes said. And, and let me just kind of take them because there's some points that I think really illustrate what I'm saying. And so I'm going to run through three or four points that he made. First of all, looking at Matthew chapter 5, when he said, you've heard this has been said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but it never says hate your enemy. Turn back a page or two to Matthew 2 for a moment. And if you'll notice at the end of Matthew 2, at the very end of Matthew 2, down in verse 23, it says, Jesus came and dwelt with his parents, obviously, in the city of Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, he shall be called a Nazarene. You'll never find that phrase in the Old Testament. Is that a contradiction in the Bible? No. It's an inference from the Old Testament. It's like Jesus making the statement to the apostles. The Old Testament said the Messiah would suffer. He would die. He would be raised the third day. You'll never find that statement in the Old Testament. But clearly, if you go back to passages like Isaiah 52, 3, 4, in the first part of 55, a conclusion you have to draw is that indeed he would suffer and be raised the third day. There are plenty of things like that. So, does the Old Testament say, hate your enemy? It certainly does, in all of the passages where it teaches hatred for the enemies of God. Inference is important, a conclusion that must be drawn. Now, let me show you another conclusion. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's given for doctrine, for instruction and in righteousness. All Scripture. Old Testament Scripture, New Testament Scripture. The only inference... That can, that can, or the only conclusion that can be drawn, the only inference that can be made, is that unless God specifically changes it, it is still the law we are to follow. Secondly, Wes said, it doesn't have to say not to. It just has to say, um, or rather, it doesn't say not to, and it doesn't have to say not to. No. It doesn't have to say not to. And I wouldn't stand up here and say the best reason we have for instrumental music is because the New Testament never says don't do it. That's not the point. The fact that the Bible once said to do it and the New Testament never changes that is the authority in the New Testament for still doing it. Wes also said the whole law as a whole And he was arguing from Hebrews chapter 8, the whole law as a whole um, has, has changed, not just parts of it. And the point is, no, the whole law has not changed. In fact, I think Wes went on to argue exactly what I would say, that only parts have changed. And the parts that have changed are the parts that Jesus came to complete, to fill up, to add to, or specifically changed. But the whole law has not changed. Um, the solo argument. I really wasn't going to get into that, actually. Um, we're not, this is not a Greek class, 
But since you brought it up, I will mention it, and that's about all I really want to do. Yes, that word in Ephesians 5 and verse 19, that preposition there from the verb solo, actually it's a prepositional form, but that word does a making melody, and it does come from a word that means to pluck the strings or whatever. I would actually say, Wes, in agreement with what you said, that it's plucking the strings, but it can be plucking the strings of the heart, and in Ephesians 5 and verse 19, that's exactly what it's saying. Pluck the strings of the heart. The point is... Just like you could have someone up here plucking the strings of a guitar and then have someone else come up here and play a piano, that doesn't change plucking the strings of the guitar. Or if two people are up here doing that and the rest of us are plucking the strings of our heart, that doesn't change it. So Ephesians 5 verse 19 is saying, stressing, pluck the strings of your heart, but it's not saying don't pluck any other strings of any other instrument. Let me make one other point here. Mechanical instruments are simply an aid. And it facilitates our worship. I'll make an observation, and I believe this. We should be more concerned with what draws us closer to God and giving Him the very best we can give Him, rather than what's conventional or traditional. I realize that in most churches of Christ, most that you're probably familiar with, it's traditional not to have any mechanical instruments of music. How much time? Two minutes. Beautiful. It's about perfect. It's, it's traditional not to have mechanical instruments of music. But that's not an argument. Because sometimes a cappella or vocal music only is beautiful. We have some beautiful a cappella music tonight. How great they are. It always stirs my soul. Needs no accompaniment. But sometimes it's not beautiful. And it does need help. I mean, I know we've all been in places where it was bad, man. Really bad. And the instrument becomes an aid to facilitate better worship. In fact, in a church of Christ in Midway, Kentucky in 1859, that's where the first churches of Christ started having it. A little instrument called a melodeon, it's like a portable piano, was introduced. Now, their preacher, Dr. L.L. L. Pinkerton, commented that the singing was so deplorable, it would scare even the rats from worship. So they needed help. So they started having singing practice, and they brought in this little portable piano, melodeon, so someone could hit the note and get the pitch. But that didn't seem to help. Then they started playing along with the singing, and they found, man, the singing dramatically improved. They introduced it in a worship service on a Sunday. Brother Thompson Parrish played the instrument while the congregation sang. They made melody in their hearts along with it, and the rats didn't need to run away anymore. The mechanical instrument is simply made. It's like a pitch pipe. We hear guys up here you know, hitting the note like a pitch pipe. It's like a songbook that we use. God never commanded that, but it's okay. It helps us to do what he wants done. It's like our heating, our cooling, the building. But it just facilitates the worship that God wants us to do. Wes? He finally made an argument that was on my sheet of paper. I thought he might use the pitch pipe. But notice there's a difference in the pitch pipe as we, quote, use it today, right? Kenny used the pitch pipe when he got up here. He played the note, and then we sang, okay? That's an eight. You go to Psalm 150. I want you to tell me if these things that we read in Psalm 150 are aids or they are instruments, things that are used for praise for worship. And I've got to tell you, it's not an aid. 
Consider what it is in verse 3 of 150. Praise Him with trumpet sound. He doesn't say use the trumpet to help you praise the Lord. He says praise with the trumpet. Or praise with the lute and the heart. And it just goes on and on and on. They are not aids. They are instruments of praise. And so on my little board up here, what you will see is how Merriam-Webster defines a instrument. Now you might say the, the pitch pipe might fall under this particular category. But is it a device that is used to produce music? And guess what it lists as an instrument? A singing voice. What does Merriam-Webster have against musical instruments in worship and praise of God? Not a thing. But yet, even Merriam-Webster understands that the voice can be used as an instrument. Now, if Tenny got up here with his pitch pipe, or I've got it here on my phone, right, my little pitch pipe, and I... I blew a C, and then I blew an F, and then I blew a G, and then I went to a D, and then I just went through all these different things. I've made that an instrument of praise and of worship, not an aid, but the pitch pipe just aids to get us started so it doesn't sound completely terrible. And let's just be real. Even when we blow the pitch pipe, the odds are good we're not starting correctly anyway. So that's, that's just being honest about that. But it's there to help us. Now, one of the other things that Michael has said, and I want to question him about this, is this idea that, yeah, laws have changed, but the whole law has not. My question to Michael is very simple. So what kind of a statement would need to be made for you in the new law that would declare that it has been changed? Because Ephesians 5.19 Sing and make melody in your hearts to the Lord as an instrument, which he just said, right? So let's use the whole Bible for a second. That's what he's wanting to use. He's wanting to use the Old Testament. Difference in specific and general commands. Noah told to build an ark. Noah, build it whatever size you want to build that ark. Build it out of whatever wood you want to build that ark out of. No, he was told, Noah, you build it out of gopher wood. Noah, you make it this long, you make it this wide, and you make it this tall. He didn't have to say, you don't make it this, 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 and this. He says, you do it this way, and that's what we have in Ephesians 5. You sing and you make melody, you play in your heart. That is the new way that excludes play with the trumpet, play with the harp. Praise with all the strings. Do with all that because we are told what to do. As opposed to a general command. Matthew 28, Jesus says to his apostles, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. How were they supposed to go? That day probably foot. Or boat. Or donkey. Me, if I'm going across the country, I'm going across the world to preach. Guess how I'm going? In a plane. Or I might even go in a ship. And I've not done anything wrong because God has left that open to interpretation, go. But when it comes to Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16, the New Testament is specific that what God wants Christians to do is to sing and make music in their 
heart. Not sing, and some of you play. But if anyone is joyful, let him sing. When you are addressing one another, when you are warning, when you are teaching and encouraging one another, he says, sing, not play. So you want to say the whole law hasn't changed. I'll grant that for the sake of argument. And I'll tell you that that commandment within the law has changed because there is a specific difference in what was before. And I'll go back to his argument he asked me about. You have to infer from the Old Testament that hating your neighbor was okay. So let me draw your attention to to David. His enemy, and by the way, I think what is being said there in Matthew 5 is you're retaliating against someone who is your enemy, not enemies of God. David was being chased for his life by Saul. And David, every time he had the opportunity to kill Saul, said, how can I do this against the Lord's anointed? That guy was out to get him. That was his enemy, and he loved him because God loved him. There's nowhere I can't think, I can't think of anywhere in the Old Testament where it would infer even if somebody is really bad to you, you get them. Because the old law would say, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It's not up to me to hate, it's up to me to love. And so I'm not sure where we draw that inference. Now the enemies of God, yeah, man, wipe them out. Uh, but my enemy, who am I? God will handle that. And by the way, God would handle his enemies as well. Vengeance is his. And so as I conclude in that thing, yeah, specifics have changed of the new law, including the singing that is in that time. Michael. So much to say, so little time to say it. Never could make me do that. No. Seriously. A um, couple of things that Wes said, and I, and I want to just go to a couple of statements Wes made, and uh, let me just go backwards. There we go. Let me just start by saying this. Let me put that up and leave that up for a second. As far as an aid is concerned, an aid doesn't have to be something you just do before you do something else, like the pitch pipe. Uh, I think I mentioned psalm books, heating, cooling, the building. All of those things go on the whole time we're here. It just helps us to do what God wants us to do. So I wasn't trying to say that, you know, an aid, uh, it, it had to be or it did not have to be. It wasn't even arguing when an aid might be used. Just anything that facilitates better doing what God wants us to do. And like the case in poor Midway, Kentucky, if the rats were having to run away, they needed some help. So, you know, they, they used the, the instrument of music. Um, one of the things that you said, Wes, that, that I thought was interesting, and I, and I appreciated you saying this, you said, what statement would have to be made, you know, so we can know when a law has changed and when it has not. What statement would have to be made? Now, I think I can answer that. The statement would have to be, but I say, or something like that. I mean, it's clear when you look at Matthew 5 and Jesus brings up something from the Old Testament like you've heard it's been said, swear and do what you say you swear to do. 
But I say don't swear. Now, that's pretty clear. But if you look at Ephesians 5 and verse 19, no, it's not saying anything like that. It is saying, sing, and it is saying make sure you make the melody in your heart. But that doesn't mean you can't make the melody in your heart and make it on some other instrument. Uh, That's why I say, you know, if we were having a song and somebody was playing guitar and then someone else came up here and began to play the organ along with it, it doesn't change what was being done before. It's just adding to that. So Jesus, I think through Paul, is stressing he wants melody made in the heart, but that doesn't mean you can't make the melody uh, on something else as well, especially if God has already told you to do it in the Old Testament and he's never changed that with a statement like, but I say. Certain, certain specifics have changed. I acknowledge that. I've acknowledged that from the very beginning uh, tonight. The priesthood has changed. When we go through all of that in Hebrews, and that's where we get those strongest statements, like he takes away the first that he may establish the second. He's talking about the priesthood. He's talking about the temple system. He's talking about animal sacrifices, like Wes said in Hebrews 10. No one disagrees that all of that has been changed. And it says it's been changed. But again, we need something that says instrumental music has been changed, and we don't have that. We just simply have a statement stressing when you sing, and if you sing along with an instrument, you make sure the melody is also being made in your heart, and you're getting personal with it. That's what God is saying. So, no, nothing has ever changed. Thank you very much. Turn to Mark 7. He said you'd have to have a statement like, but I say to you, in order for a law to change. In Mark chapter 7, they come to him and they're asking him, why don't your disciples wash their hands? Okay? Now in verse 14, Jesus said, hear me all of you and understand, there's nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person is what defiles it. No food that you put into your body will defile you. Now, I want you to think about what the law said to the Jew. You cannot eat pork. You cannot eat certain things with hooves. There are certain foods that are off limits to you. You put that in, that defiles you, right? Completely against the law. Now, notice what the the answer is said in verse 18. He said, are you also without understanding to his disciples? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? That food does not defile you. Since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled, and then there is a parenthetical statement. Thus he declared all foods clean. Jesus did not say, but I'm telling you now you can eat any food that you want. He said, you, nothing outside can defile you. Mark drew the conclusion that the law had changed without him saying, you've heard, but I say to you. That right there would show that you don't have to have a, but I say to you. The other thing you would point out is that in Romans 14, the Jews, no one is to judge you on food, etc., etc. And there's no statement in there where Jesus says, yeah, but I say to you, don't let them judge you. It's understood from the apostles, don't let anyone judge you based on food or day. And the same thing would be, there, would be said there in Ephesians 5, Colossians 3. Instead of you guys singing and making music and playing these instruments, I want you to sing. Thus, he excluded 
all other instruments than the heart. That may not make a lot of sense, but that's the conclusion that we must draw. We don't have to have Jesus say, I'm changing it in order for it to be changed. We just have to have a law that is different in order to change it. And that is exactly what we have in Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16. We sing and we play in our hearts to the Lord. Thank you very much. interesting a minute ago. I'm drinking. You know, I get up here most Sundays, preach 30 minutes, 35, whatever. I never get thirsty. Man, I'm so thirsty sitting here. I can hardly stand it. Whoo, job. Um, it's different, um, but extremely enjoyable. Let me make a quick observation. Um, I know that you know this is true already, but let me make a quick observation. We, Wes and I talked a lot about this, and we intended that, you know, someone said, so you can have a mock debate. And, in fact, several people did. And I said, no, we're going to have a real debate. And they're like, well, how can you do that? Because you both believe the same thing. And I said, well, you have to get into a mindset. You just have to, you know, think in that way. And you have to begin to look at things, not just simply saying, let me say what I know somebody else would say. But you try to think like that because, sincerely, there are people out there making arguments like Wes made last week and I made tonight. I will say this to you. I'm not going to try to re-debate everything I just said, but I will say this to you. There are answers. Whether I do a good job of giving the answers or Wes does a good job of giving the answers, there are answers, and we know that. Um, The Word of God will always stand. For the truth. And you can see it. Um, it is somewhat easier, I, I personally think, when you have the liberty to just say whatever you want to say, you know, take any part of a scripture or any line of argument um, to defend what you want to say. I think that's easy. It is sometimes very difficult to take the truth and determine exactly what the Word of God says and then to do that. But that's our job, as I was saying this morning. There may be someone that's here tonight that is not a Christian. And maybe you look at all of this and say, man, you know, I I see things like this, and I see good arguments on both sides. And I think that's true of a lot of people. Maybe some of the subjects that will come up in the future will all feel that way. And that's why we're doing what we're doing. Because we want to look at all sides of something, and we want to come to the truth. And we're trying to do the best we can at doing that. If you care what's right, and you care about serving our Lord, if your mind and your heart is where I was saying this morning, what Jesus wants, exactly what he wants us to do, that's what I want. Not my personal likes or dislikes or preferences, or whether I would like this to be done or that to be done, maybe even instrumental music or not. But what does Jesus want? I owe him everything. 
He died for me. And it's like the person that saved you and you literally, I mean, he saved you from a fire or whatever. And you look at that person and you say, man, anything you want. What do you want? I do anything you want. Well, that's exactly what Jesus wants us to feel. And if he says, well, I'll tell you, I want this or I want that. And we think in our minds, boy, of all the things you could ask for, I wouldn't have wanted that. No, but it's what he wants. So maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. And you're saying, you're saying to yourself, I'm not sure I understand everything. But I do know that I believe in Jesus and he died for me. And I want to give him what he wants. I'll confess that I believe him. He's the Son of God. I'll be willing to repent. I'll change anything that I see Scripture tells me to change. No matter what I feel or no matter what I've thought. There are some things, some passages of Scripture that very clearly say, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Repent, be baptized. So I see passages like that and I say, I know the Lord wants me to be baptized. Maybe you're here tonight and you're ready to do that. And it might be that you've done that and you're looking at your life and we go through all of this and you think to yourself, you know what? I need to be more concerned about the truth. I need to be more concerned about doing what the Lord wants me to do. It might even be that you need to kind of start all over again. If you're here tonight and you need to come, won't you please come while we stand and sing?